Thank you for joining us for our weekly Calvary Church podcast. Please take a moment and visit InvernessCalvary.com to get connected with us. We want to know what God is doing in your life through this ministry. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you may do so online. Now prepare your heart for a word that we pray will bless your life. Well, we're continuing in our series called I Can See. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, I can see. Come on, you need to say it. I saw some people not saying it. Say, I can see. All right, all right, all right. Now, um, I know that you're, you're, you're pray- maybe praying for a healing. Some of you are tired of wearing your glasses. That's actually not the kind of vision that we're talking about. But if the Lord heals you, amen. Just grab hold of it, okay? Uh, that's, not, that's not the one. We're talking about actually being able to discern and know the will of God for our lives. You know, for a lot of time, a lot of time in church, we've actually focused on one particular verse, which is absolutely true, that we must walk by faith and not by sight, right? Walk by faith and not by sight. That actually is talking about not being moved by what you see, but actually being moved by what you know is true in the heart of God, and that is what he wants to release on the earth. That's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm not going to be moved by what I see. I'm going to be moved by who I know. And that is sight or Vision. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. We've been quoting this verse a lot. Why? Because we need it down in our spirit. Some of you are saying, why do you keep repeating this verse? Have you got it memorized yet? Has it become part of you? Have you got this practice down deep in your soul? Can't we move on? As soon as you learn it, we can move on. All right. Proverbs 29, 18 says this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law happy is he. What does this mean? It means that people are languishing, perishing, dying in some aspects of their life where there is no revealed purpose of God. Do you understand? We need the revealed purpose of God in our life in order to flourish. Do you understand that? You say, I thought I was flourishing because my checkbook was okay. No, that does not mean that you are flourishing. It just means that you have a few dollars. Where there's no vision, the people perish. Uh, New King James says it this way. Where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. And that means this, where we don't understand that the direction that God is assigning to our life, we will be driven by the urgent. This need comes up and I go here. There's another need, I just go there. I just go there and I go there. And I'm busy all the time, but I actually do nothing with my life. And here's what you need to understand is that we all have obstacles. We all have those things that will come against us. But here's what vision does. It says, I see the obstacle and I know it's telling me to to go left or to go right, but I see what God has for me beyond the obstacle. So by his grace, I'm going over the obstacle. By his power, I'm going to overcome this thing that it's in me that's preventing me from my purpose. 
See, we'll all run into obstacles. The, the devil is professional at putting obstacles in our ways so that we will, be, we will be moved away from God's purpose in our life. But vision, revelation, carries us over those obstacles. Now, as a church, we have a mission and a vision. And the mission defines the greater culture of this place. A culture is the atmosphere in which all things happen. And you walked by our mission statement on the wall this morning, and it is this, that we would together extravagantly love Jesus. Now, I will say this. If you're here for the first time, and, and the worship in here kind of set you back a little bit, you're like, ooh, I've never been in anything like this. Our culture explains it to you. We extravagantly love Jesus. We think he's just de deserving of full expression of that love. And sometimes that means dance. And sometimes that's clapping. And sometimes that's kneeling. And sometimes it's silence. And sometimes it's a shout. But our culture is that we extravagantly Love Jesus. You're like, oh, that makes sense now. But our culture is also that we selflessly love people. And we know that there are people from all different stages and walks uh, here today. There are some people, man, you are rejoicing on a mountaintop, hallelujah. But some of you are in a valley. And I want to just say to you, we're here for you. We're here for you as a church. And God is here for you, and we believe he's going to turn your life around if you'll put your life in his hand. So we selflessly love people. Now, we believe that if that's the corporate culture of Calvary, that we also have uh, uh, what we have been believing is a biblical mandate for every single person. That means it's God's will that every single person experience Something along these lines. Now, these four statements, you see them around here on our shirt. It says this. It says that we want to see every person to see people saved, healed, empowered, and launched into their calling. To see people saved, healed, empowered, and launched into their calling. You say, Pastor Otis, that's, that's kind of a neat statement. But how do you know for sure that those four things God wants to see every single believer go through those things. Well, because they're clearly laid out all throughout Scripture, but actually God gathered them together in a passage in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And these four statements, these four I will statements, actually are connected to four four cups of wine in the Passover Seder. And those cups have names. And the, those, those names come and are connected to this announcement, which is made over Passover every single year by Jewish believers and, and, and non-believers who are Jews. They, they read these words and they drink from these four cups throughout the Passover 
Seder, which says this, Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'll free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. The first statement is, is I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. He's saying, listen, I am going to bring you out. That first cup they celebrate is called the cup of sanctification. It means the cup of salvation. It is that, that free gift. God bringing us out is not our job. In the Old Testament, they could not deliver themselves. And I want to tell you this, in the New Testament, you can't deliver yourself. You have to fall fully on the grace and the mercy of God so that you experience the new life that he's offering. You just simply receive it. He does the work on the cross and you believe. That's it. That's it. Did you know that, that God wanted to set his people free not because they were slaves. You know the reason he really wanted to set them free? Worship. He said, Pharaoh, you let them go so they can come and worship me. And I want to tell you this today. If you're here and you don't know, you don't know Christ, God wants to forgive your sins and make you a brand new person. You look around and you say these people with lifted hands who are jumping up and dancing and shouting and smiling. People smiling in church, how bizarre. <laughs> Listen, if you drink the first cup, you'll be smiling too. If you experience the salvation that he's offering, that he made a way for, you'll be like, oh, yes. You'll understand. You'll be like, man, I'm going to dance. Even if you're not good, at, yeah, amen. You can clap if you want to. You drink of that cup. But where, listen, it begs this question, where? Where do we want to see that happen in our church? Can I just say that? Uh, the, the simple answer is everywhere. Everywhere. We want it everywhere. We want people getting saved at your job. We want, if you're a student here, we want students ministering to students and seeing other kids saved on, the, on their campuses. Uh, we want people getting saved at Walmart. Listen, there's some folks in Walmart need to be saved, okay? <laughs> Woo! It's the reason why everybody's happy at Chick-fil-A. Nobody's happy at Walmart. They need to get more Jesus at Walmart. That's all I'm saying. People need to be saved. Y'all don't know about Chick-fil-A. Just go and find out about it. Just not today. They're, they're, they're off today. But where do we want to see people as a church drink this cup of salvation? Here's what I want to say in the very simplest way. I think every person in here wants to see it happen here every week. Every week. You know, a, a few weeks ago, and I, I'm, I'm going to try not to get choked up <laughs> about this. You know, I, I actually preached this sermon on the cup of sanctification in first service, and God came in our baptisms and preached it himself. Five planned baptisms, about 20 unplanned and a tidal wave of his love and mercy 
and the cup where people were being saved and renewed and responding to God. And, and I, here, here's what I saw that day. I, I didn't just see tears in the people's eyes who were getting baptized. I saw people weeping who were watching. Hearts that were alive and moved. Why? Because that's what we want to see. We want to see God changing lives. Now, here's what I'm going to say. If we all today, and I hope that we all will, if every single person in here leaves born again, we might have to invite some people next week if we want to see some people come to know Christ. You might have to invite some people. You might actually have to go to that neighbor. You kind of don't like them. They're smelly and they're loud and they stay up late and you wish that they would just obey the deed restrictions, but they don't, okay? They don't. Go and visit them and love on them and invite them. I know, I know I'm hitting a wall there. That was prophetic for somebody right over here. We want to see it on our Sunday services. What, what if this was our testimony? Our testimony to Citrus County that every week somebody gives their life to Christ. And I want to say this. If you don't have Christ in your life, there'll be a team standing up here that's ready at the end of this service to help you meet him. And listen, there's no better place to receive of that first cup than right here. You can do it right here. Don't wait another day, not another week, not another moment. It's just surrender to Jesus and receive what he has for you. Now, the next cup is called the cup of deliverance. This, this is the, the, where God says, I'm going to free you from being slaves to them. It's this, you, you have to understand that God just doesn't bring us out of Egypt or save us without removing a slave mentality that we've been living in our whole life. Did you know that you could actually be free and still behave like a slave? God can make you a son, but you can still live like a slave. God wants to remove that. Well, where's that happen? Small groups. You need to get into a life group. You say, I've been reluctant to that. I don't like being around people. I understand. <laughs> I really do. But do it anyway. Because it'll be in that place that you find the liberty to become the person that God has called you to become. Where God will say, I'm going to remove the mentality that's been in you, that's been keeping you from my purpose. You've got to get connected to some other people who are going to sharpen you. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There's another cup in this Passover Seder that we talked about last week called the cup of redemption. The cup of redemption, uh, really, uh, you could also write this word restoration. We use the word empowered. And it is very simply this idea that you were designed by God before you were born with a purpose. You were designed with a plan. The Bible tells us that he wrote down all the days of your life in a book. That he put you together in his mother's in your mother's womb. He knit you together there. He, he told Jeremiah, before you were born, 
I made you a prophet to the nations. What does that mean? That every single one of us has a designed original intent from God. And if we'll allow him to, he'll let us discover it and live it. And if you need to hear more along those lines, please go to our website, InvernessCalvary.com. Sign up for our podcast. If you subscribe to podcasts, you can listen to the messages over and over. But today we want to talk about the last one. It's called the cup of praise. We use this idea of being launched, and it is where God says, I'll take you as my own people, and I'll be your God. This is an amazing idea. Up until this point, everything that, that God has been doing has actually been personal. We've been personally getting saved. We've been personally getting our thinking changed. We've been personally discovering our own gifts. But here in this cup, it's corporate. And there is something to be said about this cup called Hallel. It's where we get the word hallelujah. Um, it, it's more than just a, a song, a word that you sing in song. It's more than that. It is a life of praise. It is a full life. A hallelujah life is a full life of praising God. Maybe you could say it this way. It is a fulfilled life. Totally full of God's purposes. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Because it happens in a specific way. Corporately. Together. You have to challenge the idea that I can be a Christian and not be connected. I can just do TV church. I can just stay at home. I can be a have you, How many times have you heard that? You invite somebody to church. Oh, no. I can be a Christian and not go to church. You can be, just not a biblical one. That's the truth. Sorry if I stepped on your toes. You came here for the first time. You've been <laughs> listening to us online. But it's the truth. You see, God says, he says, I want to put you inside of a body with a people. He says, then you will be my people. Notice what he says. And when you get connected, I'm coming to get involved. I'll be your God. It's such good news. This is the cup of fulfillment when a people gather around God's purposes and God gets involved and starts moving, we lift that cup and say our whole life, our whole body is a hallelujah. That's good. But why? Why, why do so many people choose to live an unfulfilled life or, or maybe, maybe you could say it this way, just an unlived life. Have you ever looked at a teenager, you know, and said, you know, when they're, they're really making poor choices and, and you're a little bit older and a little bit wiser and you're going and you look at them and you go, why is youth wasted on the young? And you look at them and say, listen. Do something great now. Invest now. Learn now. Don't miss your moment. And they're like, whatever. 
I'm like, live your life. There's going to be aches and pains that meet you and greet you in the coming days that say, don't get out of bed. <laughs> what are these reasons that people, they, they, they have an unlived life? It's outside of God's purposes. And I would say this, it's even believers who don't live a fulfilled life. Well, why? Well, uh, let me just give you a few reasons. Number one, we let our past cripple us. We let our past cripple us. Psalm 38 says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. Verse 6 says, I am bowed down and brought low. Their, their past, and maybe you're like that here today, your past has been weighing on you and you hear all of this talk of living by vision and living in God's purposes and immediately the thought of your failure comes up and the only two words you can hear is, not me. I aim today to silence that voice. God's aim today is to silence that voice. You are not crippled by your past. You don't have to be crippled by it. God takes your past through grace and mercy and buries it in a sea called forgetfulness. Why are we constantly on a dive expedition? Going deep to see if we can find what used to hold us, we shouldn't. We have to stop letting the past cripple us. Because if it continues to cripple us, we will never live the life that God intends to, leave, to have us to live. We'll never live that way. We'll always be paralyzed in the past. Second reason people are living this unlived life, this life of no purpose, is we let the culture define us. Now listen, the church finds herself in this moment right now where if we're not careful, we will be so molded by what's going on in culture that the church will grow dim and she will grow silent and that is not your purpose. I'm telling you right now, if you go out into the community, there are unwritten rules hung on the backs of demons that say, don't say that here. Don't do that here. Students now are under this false belief that they can't even share their faith at school because some uninformed people are saying, I was trying to think of something that would, would just be nebulous. Um, <laughs> uninformed people say, well, that, no, you can't share your faith, student, in school because it's separation of church and state. There is a separation of church and state. It keeps the federal government from establishing a national religion and pressing on us their own ideas of theology. It was never meant to keep the church from infiltrating the world as the light of Jesus Christ. We cannot let culture define us. We cannot let culture define us. Listen, listen, I know this is a big deal. I'll step in this, in this mud puddle if no one else will. If you see someone, you know, who's going through the transformation of 
becoming a woman or becoming a man, facing transgender issues, do not hold your nose and point your finger, but run to them. Run to them and say, what is eternity saying in your heart? Have you listened to that voice or are you only listening to the feelings? Right now, feelings in our culture are God. If you feel something, it makes it right. That is nonsense. That is complete nonsense. Because there's been a lot of feelings in moments of frustration where I really wanted to give somebody the right hand of wisdom. <laughs> Followed with a descriptive, well, you're so stupid. <laughs> but you don't act on your feelings. <laughs> some of you are going, oh, I need some help with that right hand. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, feelings are not God. Just because you feel something just because you're tempted in a certain way, that doesn't, that doesn't mean it's directing you. It means it's trying to. The answer, the answer to the issues in the world, it's Jesus. And Jesus in the world is the church. And the church, if we're defined by culture, we will live an unfulfilled life. Silence. It's not God's plan. Bright shining light on a hill. You as the light of the world finding your stand. Because that's what it says. That you take the light and you put it on its stand. That's what Jesus said. Jesus, that means every one of you, God has created a stand for you. And he says, I'm going to put you there if you'll let me. But culture comes and tries to cover up the light. And we can't let culture define us otherwise we, we will not be living the fulfilled life that God has for us what's another area that keeps people from truly living we try to do it alone we try to do it alone and I uh, listen I believe in American exceptionalism I just don't believe in American individualism I believe that God wants us in the church to stand together. You cannot do it alone. When we try to do things alone, we find ourselves in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 8 says, there was a man all alone. He neither had son or brother. There was no end to his toil, and yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Look at me, you're living, you may be living an unfulfilled life because you're trying to do it all on your own. And this verse says that you'll be working and working and working and still inside of you there will be a longing for more. A more that you can't produce. You and I cannot do it alone. And every time that you think that to yourself, you have to confront it because it will rob you of the full life that God is trying to give us. Now, God, in, through Christ, 
says in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life or abundant life or life to the fullest, okay? So I have this question. Are you living that verse? You may look, oh yeah, pastor, man, that thief, he's been stealing, he's been, not that part. Not that part. No, I knew that's the easy part to go to. But you, you know that Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. He says, that's the way it was, but I have come that you might have life. And so the enemy will not have authority over here. I have come that you might have abundant life. I promise you that when we live like Christ, we find abundant life. And it's in this final cup, this cup of praise, where God says in Exodus chapter 6, he says, you will be my people and I will be your God. He's saying, when you come together, I'm going to do something special in your midst. Well, how is it that we are to actually drink of this cup of praise? How do we do it? We've been telling you how to do it in the weeks previous. Well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how to begin to drink of this cup of praise collectively as a church. First, it begins with a calling. 2 Timothy 1.9, the message version says this, God saved us and then called us to his holy work. We had nothing to do with it. It was all his idea, a gift prepared for us in Jesus long before we knew anything about it. God saved us, then called us. Look, look at your neighbor and say, you are called. If you're really young here, if you're really young here, look at your neighbor and say, you are texted. Because <laughs> whether or not you know it, your kids are a little bit bothered that you still actually want to talk to them on a device. Couldn't you please express yourself with a few words and many emojis? This is true. Very true. <laughs> See, you are called by God. Now, not all of you are called to full-time ministry. And what I would say to all of you who think, man, I want that preacher's job. That's, that's just easy to do. He, he heard the call, and now he's just, you know, he's walking out the call. Listen, we're all called. But if you do not become a pastor unless you are really called. I mean really called because we are, we are literally find ourselves on the front lines fighting battles that you, have, you just have no idea about. And we're praying that God would move powerfully, not just in our own lives, but in the lives of everyone connected to our, our church. And pastors struggle with ideas, you know, and, and they really want to gather people and they really want everybody in. But I heard a pastor um, uh, Francis Chan, who's pastoring a work in San Francisco now, he, he said this. He said, I'm convinced that if Jesus had a church in my city, mine would be bigger. He said, because I know how to gather a crowd. And all Jesus does, every time he gets a crowd, he offends them. He offends the crowd. Crowd gets really big. 
after feeding them, 15, 20,000 people comes out and says, listen, I'm going to offend you Jewish people in the highest way. Say something totally not kosher. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. Go figure it out. End of sermon. Disciples like, Jesus, can we have a moment? (laughs) Have a moment. They're really upset. (laughs) Could you tell us what they eat their flesh and drink? Because we got no idea what you were talking about. And because they were close to Christ, he, he explained it. And you know when he explained it? In the Passover. He explained it with the cups. And I want to tell you, if you want to find real fulfillment and understanding of your purpose in life and you want to really find out how to live a hallelujah, you'll do it in a company of people. You'll do it in a company of people that are different from you. They don't smell like you. They don't talk like you. They challenge you. You need to know that it all begins with a call, and we're all called. Basically, you have to come to terms with this statement. I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. When you know that you're called, you want to make a difference. Pastor Chris Hodges of Church in the Highlands, Birmingham, Alabama, says this. He says, people lose their way when they lose their why. People lose their way when people lose their why. If you don't know that you're called, you won't continue in the calling. If you don't know the why behind you reaching out, and the, but the why behind you standing with people who are different, you will lose your way. You've got to know the why. And the first why is because you're called by God to do it. You're called, and your calling is your own. But you need to share it with others who have that similar call and run with them after people who are our cause, which leads us to our next statement. How do you drink from the cup of praise? It begins with a calling, but it stands on a cause. Acts 20, 24, New Living Translation says this, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. He says, my life is worth nothing unless I use it for God's purposes. It's saying, I want to make a difference doing something that makes a difference. And listen, I know a lot of people give their lives to a lot of things on this planet, but they really are of no eternal significance. They're of no eternal significance. You say, is that important? It's very important. There was a study done, or a study released actually in 1943. If you've ever taken a psychology course, you may have heard of Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. 
It refers to the needs of every single human being. Now, it, he, he kind of developed it over time. And some would say maybe there's eight thoughts connected to it, some six. I'm just going to give you six. And four, uh, four of them, to begin with, are just practical. You know, they're very, like physiological needs. You need clothing. You need shelter. You need food. Everybody kind of realizes that, that every human being needs those. You need a measure of safety. I was sitting with my children, and we were watching CNN report on, on fighting uh, where ISIS had been uh, gripping a neighborhood and had been pushed back in that neighborhood. And in the picture uh, that, that we were looking at, there were these homes. And they had been ravaged by war. And I, I said to my kids, I said, kids, what would you do if you lived there? And middle schoolers, you know, they think they got it together. So almost in concert, they just said, oh, well, we would leave. Well, where would you go? I don't know, but we wouldn't be there. I said, okay, that's, a, that's, that's, that's true. Because we all need safety. And that's, a, that's something, that's something that's really real. And that's why we should actually be praying for our brothers and sisters who are experiencing such torment connected to the war in the Middle East. We also need love sense of belonging. It's another real need. We also have these esteem needs, people that actually see the value that's in us and speak to it. These are basic, uh, uh, Maslow would call these deficient needs. They're, they're deficient. That means that they're, we're just, we just don't possess them. And, and somebody else needs to help supply those and bring those into our life. But then there's another two, just two that I want to bring your attention to. There's one called self-actualization. And this one, this one's kind of kind of interesting. Remember, this is not from a Christian perspective, so just hear me out. It basically means this: what a man can be, he must be. This is what he said. This is something in the heart of mankind that says, What I can be, I must be. Have you ever made that list in your life? The bucket list? Those things which I have to do before I die? Well, those are usually adventurous and wonderful, but how about the purpose? Have you ever made a purposeful bucket list? Saying, I need to be all I am created to be. Listen, the reason why so many are living an unlived life is because we're not actually answering that need to actually fulfill our God-given call. The last one actually came a little later where, where Maslow himself actually began to create kind of criticize even this idea of self-actualization, self he, he actually says that there is this word called self-transcendence. Now, transcendence just means to go above, go beyond, to reach beyond. And he says this, this need is where a person only finds its actualization in giving itself to something higher a goal outside of oneself. And he even wrote, writes these words as a secular man. It's spiritual. It's spiritual. Uh, can I just say something? 
if a secular person outside of the kingdom looks at people and says, people need to get together and give themselves to something bigger than themselves in order to be fulfilled, doesn't it just confirm what God has been saying all along in God's word? That this is actually how he has designed us to live a halal, a life of praise. Listen, not only do we want to make a difference, but we want to do it doing something that makes an eternal difference. There's two areas that we've been called to make a difference in. Number one, it's people. You're called to make a difference in people. You are called to make a difference in people, to love them, to reach them, to care for them, to impact their life. It is a need built into you to give of yourself to something bigger than yourself. That something bigger is called the kingdom. And you go and you touch people where they are. You love them. Pray for them. Bless them. You make a difference in people. The second area that you're called to make a difference in is heaven. One day Jesus will return for his bride. And I just have this one philosophy. I'm not going alone. I don't want to go alone. I want a whole host of people to go with me. If we should be alive and remain, the, the scripture says, man, the voice of the archangel is coming and the shout of God. There'll be a trumpet and then we which are alive and remain, we'll be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air and we will forever be with the Lord. But listen, listen, that moment is not meant to be experienced alone. There is nothing that can replace the bold proclamation of the gospel. We are called to give our lives together to get the good news out. We have to preach the gospel. How will they know unless someone preaches? And how can they go unless they're sent? We have to preach the gospel. And we think, oh, well... I don't know about that. And we stay stuck in an unfulfilled life. Can I just say this? At one point, we were all, all afraid. You know what the apostles did in the book of Acts when they were afraid? They prayed. And they said, God, you see their threats? Make us even more bold to preach this gospel. Signs and wonders at the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Listen, guys, we got to make a difference. We have to not only make a difference, but we have to make this sermon that we're going to make a difference for a cause, a real cause. And that cause is to cause heaven to flourish. So we want to make a difference, making a difference in people in heaven doing something that makes a difference. And the last thought is this. If you're going to drink from this cup, not only does it, it begin with you knowing that you're called, knowing that there's a cause, but it has to spread from me to we. 
It has to spread from me to we. We have to spread our thinking that I must run with someone. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Let me finish that statement that I've been kind of building throughout. I believe we can all say this. I want to make a difference doing something that makes a difference with people who want to make a difference. That's when we really live a life of fulfillment. I want to finish today with one final thought. Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, he actually shared the Passover with his disciples. Had all four cups there. They gladly drank from the first three. Luke says in Luke 22, it says, and after supper, he actually says this. He says, I'm not going to drink of the fruit of the vine until we're together in the kingdom. That night, he ended the Passover early and he set that cup down drank all the other three said that one I'm waiting what's he waiting on there's an event coming called the marriage supper of the lamb it's where the groom Jesus gets to receive his bride and we come together for this moment this marriage where we will really be together for eternity Revelation 19.9 says, Blessed are those who are, inviting, who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's where Jesus will raise that cup and say, Praise be the Father for all that He has done. Can I just say to you today, don't miss that cup. Don't miss that cup. You say, how do I get to drink from that cup? Drink the first one. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you would like more information about the ongoing ministry of Calvary Church, please visit our website at InvernessCalvary.com.